Welcome to the Liberty Leadership in Lies with Larry Linton podcast. For those of you who are new listeners, this podcast will be about exactly what the title implies. We will discuss the state of liberty in our republic today and how it is being eroded by the very institution that was created by our founding fathers to protect it, which is the government that now hates us. We'll also discuss the many different types and styles of leadership that exist today, but more frequently we'll talk about how our republic is best served by true servant leadership in elected office. On the topic of lies, we will discuss the many pervasive lies that are told in society today, and not only by our government, but their willing partners in the news media, social media, and tech sectors. These lies, they're designed to rob us of our liberty and destroy our trust in and reliance on the founding principles of our nation and its constitution. I will also use a portion of each episode to discuss my election campaign to represent Tennessee's House of Representatives, District 12. And what I hope to accomplish with my campaign is just basically a couple of things. I want to bring to Nashville an example of what following an oath to the Constitution looks like. And this is based upon my 30 years of service to our nation in the United States Navy. Additionally, once I am in Nashville, I would like to restore the state's role as the creator of and the parent to the federal government. What a lot of people don't realize is that our federal government is not a party to our Constitution, but it is a product of the Constitution. And this Constitution is a charter between all of the states that empowers the federal government with certain and extremely limited powers, such as providing for the common defense and to regulate trade. We can also discuss any tactics or techniques the listeners may have in the fight to restore our nation's founding principles when engaging with what has apparently become the people's enemy over the course of generations now, and that is the government that, one, hates us, and two, only sees us as the means to obtain and maintain power. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. You can also subscribe to my blog there at the website. Additionally, even at the website, you can contribute to my campaign. You can find the podcast and the campaign on social media. Just search for Larry for TN12 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the campaign info and Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Lynn for the podcast social media pages. I'm also on Telegram as Liberty Leadership and Lies. I will be recording the show either from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee, or on remote locations where my consulting business or election campaign takes me. Welcome back to another episode of the Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton podcast. This week's episode, we'll be talking about leadership. Before we get going, keep these numbers in mind, and we'll talk about how they relate to this week's topic, as well as the overall theme of the podcast and my campaign. The first number I would like for you all to remember is this, 10,374. The next number I would like for you all to remember is this one, 66,975. And the third and final number is this, 15.4%. Now let's get started. I guess I must first let the audience know about the technical difficulties encountered with getting the podcast uploaded this week. Denise and I are having a deck added onto our house. During the construction of the deck, we discovered that the internet cable that comes into the house takes a meandering loop through the backyard. Mind you, the main junction box for the internet cable is in the front of the house along the street side. 
But the builder or cable company decided when the house was built that a wrinkle had to be added in during the construction. Why, we will never know. The contractor that we had building the deck was so upset with himself for cutting that cable line, but we assured him that he did not do anything wrong. Heck, Denise and I didn't even think to get the backyard marked for utility lines because water, cable, and electricity connections are along the street in the front of the house. So Denise and I went without internet until this morning, hence the late release of this episode. But better late than never, right? We did have cell coverage though, which allowed us to stay on top of some important news and other events. The biggest news item is one we will discuss next week that came out of the Supreme Court. Very appropriate that next week's topic is lies, right? We'll kick off this episode about leadership with a quote from Warren Buffett that I often use in my coaching engagements in the private sector. It is this, quote, Trust is like the air we breathe. When it's present, nobody really notices. When it's absent, everyone notices, unquote. I found this to not only be true in the business world, but also for my time in the military. One would think that this would be one of those universally applied quotes. Sadly, it doesn't seem to be true in the world of politics. Or, more specifically, with the people elected or appointed to positions of special trust. Our recent primary election here in Sevier County yesterday was a great example of trust, although misplaced trust. It's also a great example of blind loyalty. So let's get into those words, trust and blind loyalty. Trust is defined as a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. The dictionary defines blind loyalty as being loyal to a person or cause despite the damage the person or cause does to oneself or others. It involves excusing bad behavior in the name of protecting allegiance to another person. Let's break those definitions down for the realm of our current political climate and the topic of leadership, though, shall we? With regards to trust, do our elected representatives, our leadership, demonstrate reliability? Well, in a sense, they do. They are reliably unreliable in their fealty to an oath and service to their constituents. They can be relied upon to protect their positions of power or influence. What about the truth part in the definition of trust, though? Does our current crop of elected officials provide us with truth when they are campaigning? Do they provide us with the whole truth while serving in elected office? Does their stated moral imperative match up with their actions once in elected office? If you remember, their moral imperatives are their campaign promises. It is what they state they will do once they get elected to office. Do they not have the strength of their convictions to do what they promised they would do once in office? Or even fight for their principles knowing they will lose the battle? In those great words from President Teddy Roosevelt, quote, The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, unquote. Well, we can all see those facts before us every day now. So you see, Warren Buffett's quote on trust does not have any bearing in the realm of politics. And it gets worse with every election cycle, too. The new aristocracy relies upon the apathy of the electorate to not hold them accountable for their campaign promises that they state prior to an election, or hold them accountable for failing to uphold their oaths of office once elected. We do not hold them accountable for not stepping into the arena and fighting for their moral imperatives, their principles, those ones that the voters entrusted them with the special position of trust to get into elected office. 
So are the major political parties trustworthy? Do they follow through on their campaign promises? Why are they, those major political parties, still relevant then if they don't do that? Why do voters keep going back and touching the hot stove? Forgetting the lesson that their last vote should have taught them. That is where the apathy and the blind loyalty come into play. Voters tell themselves that their candidate just needs more time or any number of other excuses that justify them giving the blind loyalty of a vote. Or because they don't really have a preferred candidate, just a preferred political party, they offer their blind loyalty to the party. Just look at the mess that has gotten us into. So that brings us back to the numbers I asked you to remember at the start of today's episode. The first number was 10,374. That was the total number of votes cast in yesterday's primary election here in Sevier County, and it includes early and absentee ballots. The next number was 66,975. That number represents the number of registered voters here in Sevier County as of August of 2020. I will use that number as it is the last official number of registered voters currently available. There are some estimates of between 77,000 and 95,000 registered voters in the county now, which makes the next number more significant. The third number was 15.4%. That number represents the percentage of registered voters that participated in the primary election here in Sevier County, if we use the conservative estimate of registered voters from August of 2020. If we use the 77,000 or 95,000, that percentage drops to 13.5 and 11%, respectively. Regardless of the number used, the percentage of participation is absolutely atrocious. If you follow my campaign on social media, you would know that Denise and I voted early on the last day of early voting here in Sevier County. We sat down together and discussed the candidates that were running in the primary. Oh, before I forget, I have to mention the absolute hilarity of walking into the voting center and asking for our ballots. We show them our ID. Thank goodness that's still required here in Tennessee. Then the clerk asks which primary we are voting in, the Republican or Democrat primary. The only two choices, by the way, because independents go right to the general election in November for the state federal elections. Anyway, those were the two choices for this May primary. The funny part is that if you state a Democrat Party primary, you picked up your ballot and went to the machine to register your votes, you would have to write in a candidate for every office that is on the ballot. Why? Well, because there are no declared or qualified Democrat Party candidates in Sevier County. Notice I said declared. I know I've mentioned this before, the lack of declared Democrat Party candidates in our county, but to actually see it is both hilarious and sad. Hilarious that what used to be described as the party of the working class, which is almost 100% of the residents of this county, cannot gin up any representation for itself here. But it is sad, though, because there are actually Democrats, communists, that are competing as declared Republicans in this primary. These communists see how the game is rigged here, and they have adapted their TTPs, you know, tactics, techniques, and procedures, to integrate themselves into the political climate in Sevier County. There are some members of the, I guess it would be called the political class in our county, that have told me that this is a fact here. One of the judges that is perennially on the ballot here is a true, dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, but knows they would never get elected with a D after their name, so they run for re-election as a Republican. You see, funny and sad at the same time. And this is apparently how the Tennessee General Assembly has a trans-publican supermajority. 
What is not funny, but incredibly sad, is this. Our political class keep getting reelected despite there not being any trust. Blind loyalty on display all the time. Now back to Denise and I voting. Like I said, we sat down and covered all the candidates running in the primaries before the last day of early voting. A lot of the candidates were running unopposed, which is another sad state of affairs. We looked over each candidate that we could vote on. We did research on all of them and then came up with a game plan or a voting plan for when we walked up to the booth. Some unopposed candidates that were on the ballot, they didn't get a vote at all. Some of the unopposed candidates received a vote against them by Denise and I writing in another candidate's name. Others did get a vote, but only because we discussed the pros and cons about the candidate and decided they should continue in office. Nearly every single one of the incumbents up for re-election in a contested election got extra scrutiny, along with a candidate looking to replace them. Some people say, better the devil you know than the one you don't know. Well, that's just laziness in my mind, because you're still voting for a devil. These challengers to the incumbents running decided to step into the arena to serve their constituents, and that is always better than the devil you do know. At the end of the day, hard choices were made, but both of us left the polling station knowing that we did our part in our system of self-governance. Elections have consequences. Not voting in elections have even bigger consequences, which is exactly what happened in yesterday's primaries. Keeping incumbents failed leaders in their positions does more harm than good if they continuously break our trust and fail to uphold their oaths. Offering the same people or the political parties they represent blind loyalty over and over is pushing our state and our country down the road into a pure democracy, where eventually we won't even have a facade of elections. Look around you and you can just see the results of voter apathy or blind loyalty in our state and in our nation. The political parties in our nation that have their hands on the reins of federal and state governments have ensured that government is now involved in every aspect of our lives. What happens when they decide that elections are no longer even necessary? I was discussing this with some of the guys at the men's ministry breakfast I was at Tuesday morning. All levels of government exert some kind of control over nearly every activity we participate in. Every activity. Just look around where you're sitting right now while you're listening to this podcast. If you're driving your car, try to find some aspect of what you are doing and what you are operating that does not have some involvement by the government. The same thing goes if you're listening at home or walking down the street and listening to it on your phone. Point out something in your house or on the sidewalk or in your car that you think should not have anything to do with government involvement And I can guarantee you that either our state or federal government is somehow involved in that item. Most likely it's both state and federal. This is definitely not the level of government involvement in our daily lives that the Founding Fathers envisioned for us. It is definitely not the involvement our constitutions limit government from participating in. Because of our apathy, we have allowed the government to encroach into every facet of our lives to the point where we only have a mirage of freedom in what is supposed to be the freest nation on the planet. We have forgotten the lesson that government governs best when it governs least. Rewarding failed leadership continues our state and our country on the slow march towards destruction. One of the power bases people in leadership position have which they can use to influence behavior is something called reward power. This particular topic, influence, is one I discuss in my leadership coaching. It comes from Gary Uckel's book, Leadership in Organizations, 8th edition, that was published in January 2012. 
In the book, Mr. Yukel discusses power bases and influence tactics. Leadership can be exercised from one of eight different power bases combined with one of ten different influence tactics to get a desired outcome of either obtaining commitment or compliance or overcoming resistance. The eight power bases that are described in the book are positional, which is the foundation power base and sadly where most leadership operates from. Then there's the expert power base. People follow that leader because of their proven expertise in a certain area. Another power base is the personal power base. People follow that leader because of who they are and what they represent. John Maxwell calls that the fifth level of leadership. Then there's the reward power base, which we will discuss a bit about as it relates to our political system in the country. It can be very effective in other organizations, though. Then there is information power base. You can think of that power base this way. Knowledge is power, especially if that information or knowledge is key to the success or failure of that particular organization. Then there's also connection power. That can be summed up with the phrase, it's not what you know, but who you know. That power base has significant crossover from politics to business, as we all know. Next up is environmental power base. Having control over the environment is a power base to operate from. And this can mean anything from living facilities and working conditions in a building or structure, all the way up to controlling the workplace attitudes of an organization. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase toxic workplace environment, right? And then the final power base is the coercive power base. That power base was quite effectively, although unconstitutionally, used during the pandemic by our own government. It plays a key role in the business world, but more particularly in the military world. It is the power base of leadership getting a desired outcome through the do this or else your career is over. A leader can use the reward power base combined with an influence tactic of, say, either persuasion, inspirational appeal, ingratiation, exchange, personal appeals to obtain commitment from followers, being in a position to reward performance out of individual team members using various items, from a simple pat on the back, all the way up to either a monetary reward or even with paid time off, can provide a significant return on investment. Not only does it influence the individual receiving the reward, it can also inspire the team members, peers, and subordinates to exhibit the same behavior and performance so they may obtain the reward. I provide the explanation this way. What does a leader get when they reward performance above the bare minimum? Well, that leader gets more of the above average performance, not only from the individual, but from the team as well. What does a leader get when they do not use the reward power base for above average performance? Well, they get the bare minimum standard from their team. In other words, when you reward above average performance, you get more above average performance. When you do not reward above average performance, you have plateaued the performance of the individual and the team. Now let's tie this in with voter participation coupled with apathy and our nation's current crop of the new aristocracy. The new aristocracy relies on the apathy that is quite apparent in the 85% of the voting age population not voting in this week's primary election to stay in office. Then, with the blind loyalty of the less than 15% of the people that voted to return them to office, that means their behavior while in office is being rewarded. So the flip side of the coin that is rewarding good behavior results in more good behavior comes this. Rewarding bad behavior results in getting more bad behavior. 
a 15% or less vote to return them to eroding our liberties and putting more and more layers of bureaucracy between the citizen and our constitutionally protected rights. I hope that I illustrated that clearly for the audience. If not, you can go ahead and email me and we can discuss it some more. The bottom line is this, though. 85% of the voting population not voting is actually a vote for the continuation of their service in office. No input is an input. That input of not participating serves to inform the candidate that a vast majority of the electorate is giving their consent to their actions or inaction while serving in an office of special trust. This is the major reason why apathy towards our system of self-governance must be reversed. To those who are currently serving is not sending the intended message of the voters. The new aristocracy views the apathy as the electorate's permission to continue doing what they've always been doing in office. One of the most dangerous phrases we have in the English language is this, well, that's the way we've always done it. That path leads to tyranny, and we all caught a glimpse of that happening with a contrived COVID pandemic. When the opposing Communist Party saw the actual voter enthusiasm for a candidate they could not control, in came a way to disguise the fraud we all witnessed in the 2020 election. Do you think the new aristocracy could have gotten away with their cheating if there was already an above 80% voter participation rate in our elections? Absolutely not. While most of the population cannot trust the political class and the political parties, they can trust that the apathy of the electorate will allow them to subvert elections to their, and only their, benefit. If you think cheating only took place during the 2020 elections, you would be sadly mistaken. And... If you think that 2020 will be the last time because their brazenness exposed them, you would be mistaken too. In fact, there are some fishy numbers in yesterday's school board primaries in tiny little Sevier County. There were three positions up for re-election yesterday. While the vote totals in each district are quite different, the winning percentage was nearly identical in those three separate races. Very, very odd. And I hope those candidates who ended up on the losing side of the vote get together and investigate the very strange and very similar percentages. Of course, it may be nothing, but after the last two years, it is best to not let anything to do with our elections go unscrutinized, even if it's the GOP. Statewide, our current political leadership should be taking the lead on anything and everything to do with ensuring the integrity of our elections. That is another one of the pillars of my campaign. We spoke about the failed attempt, or failed on purpose attempt, actions of the General Assembly just last week regarding legislation to improve the integrity of elections here in Tennessee. As most of you know, I retired from active duty after serving 30 years in the United States Navy. The early part of my career was spent during the Cold War, but after 1992, the mission of the armed forces changed drastically. We went from deterrence and peace through strength to nation-building all over the globe. Where our nation's armed forces tried, and now proven to be unsuccessful, to build nation's governments based upon the model we have here at home. Part of that process was to set up a system of free and fair elections that required voter ID and proof of voting one time only. I'm quite sure many of you here in the audience remember pictures of Afghanis and Iraqis proudly showing their purple-stained thumbs or fingers indicating they had voted in their ostensibly free and fair elections that we, the United States of America, 
had established in those foreign countries. Yet here at home, when it comes to rooting out fraud and preventing the type of cheating that was prevalent in those former dictatorships, our elected class turns a blind eye to the much more sophisticated methods of cheating that is happening in our elections. As I just mentioned, there appears to be something off with the school board primary elections yesterday. Let's do some number crunching, shall we? For Sevier County School Board District 1, during the 2018 primary, the candidate ran unopposed and garnered 1,808 votes. Same district, 2022 primaries, the incumbent received less votes, a total of 1,704, and the challenger received 526 votes. That means the incumbent won by a 76 to 24% margin. The margin of victory in total votes was 1,178. There was also an increase of total votes cast of 424, two of which went to a write-in candidate or candidates. The write-in names are not listed on the documents that I have. But that increase in the vote totals is quite possibly based upon the increase in population here over the last four years. Let's move on to School Board District 3. During the 2018 primary, the incumbent received 1,329 votes and was also unopposed. District 3 in 2022 saw the incumbent again receive less votes than in 2018 with 1,224. The challenger in that race received a reported total of 376 votes. That is a total of 1,604 votes that were cast in that district's primary. And again, a write-in candidate or a write-in candidates received four votes. That represents an increase of 275 votes cast as compared to the 2018 primary. Again, not out of the realm of possibility based upon the population growth here over the last four years. And those numbers do not scream odd, but get this. Based upon the vote totals, the incumbent won by a 76 to 24% margin. Does that sound familiar? It should because of the exact same percentage difference as in District 1. Things that make you go, hmm, right? Moving on to the last school board district that had a primary election yesterday, and that's District 5. Something odd here that I'm trying to get some background information on is that Becky Williams ran unopposed for that office in 2018 and won with 1,719 votes. Later that same year, she resigned and Kevin Townsend was appointed to complete the rest of her term. I do not have any information on that, but it's still a little bit odd. There are no news reports about her resignation and the reason behind it that I can find, but I'll keep digging. The important piece here is the vote totals and the percentages they represent. As I said, Becky Williams won that primary by running unopposed in 2018 and received 1,719 votes. Kevin Townsend, which replaced her, received 1,510 votes in yesterday's primary. Mr. Townsend's opponent received 468 votes. The write-in candidate or candidates received two votes. That represents a total of 1,980 votes cast for school board members in that district. An increase of 261 votes over the 2018 vote totals. It's another situation where that does not particularly scream something odd, but guess what? What do you think the voting percentages were? Yep, 76% for the incumbent and 24% for the challenger. I'm not saying there is or is not something fishy going on here, but I do believe the odd similarity 
and the incumbent versus challenger percentages should be given more scrutiny. Why? Well, there's that why question. Because our political leadership has done very little to earn our trust, and they definitely do not deserve our blind loyalty any longer. I know the challengers in each of those races, and they would definitely be servant leaders in the position they were seeking on the school board. They chose to take a stand in the arena because of the corrosive and divisive curriculums that the school district has purchased with our tax dollars that are sexualizing and demonizing our children with. More to follow on this, though. It is just another example of why the so-called public education system in our nation needs to be scrapped and rebuilt with the public and not the government or unions be the true leaders in the arena of educating our children. And I received my reply back on asking for the waiver from the school board on my open records request. I do not have to pay the fee if I get to go physically inspect the copies instead of getting the copies. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'll let you all know the outcome of that. In closing this week, I would like to leave you all with this from God's Word. Today it comes to us from Luke 16.10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Our government, yes, the one that hates us, has continuously been dishonest in almost all of the little things. When words like equity, inclusion, investment, diversity, student debt forgiveness, and the like are the driving forces and the tools behind their work to divide us all, they are not honest with their greater responsibility. Government's sole purpose is to protect the liberties, the freedoms of its citizens. It is not to take care of the citizens. In our Constitutional Republic, our founding documents, the states and our federal constitution, we implemented them to restrict government, not to provide rules and regulations on the citizens who are the true authority at every level of government. Our apathy in most instances and blind loyalty in some instances is enabling the radical transformation of our republic. This coming November, we all have a chance to reverse the damage that is done. I want the residents of Sevier County to know that they can put their trust in me and I will be loyal to them and not to any political party or special interest group. I know the source of authority for our government in swearing an oath to the Constitution. I am swearing an oath to we the people. 15.4% participation will not get us to where we need to be. We need to show up in droves this November to ensure that Nashville and DC truly recognize that we the people want to restore government to its proper and extremely limited role. This is an arena we all must take a stand in because our future and the future of our children really do depend on us all taking back control of our government. Until next week, stand in the arena with me, Reveille, it's time to wake up.